Welcome to Witch Yes, a podcast for casual conjurings, witches in training, and the monster mash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. (laughs) It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. On today's episode, we're halfway through our October fundraiser. Let's talk necromancy, the true story that inspired The Conjuring, and a spell jar to attract friendship. Here it comes. Like a little fish. Whether you like it or not, we're going to be friends. It's coming in hot. I'm going to get you. <laughs> oh, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little sick, but I'm on the up. I've been on the up for two days now, so I'm still on the up. Slow it'll and steady when, ascent. Yeah, it'll happen at some point. I do want to make a note that from our Ouija episode, so we're jumping back a little bit, but we're busy. Like, what can we say? The reason saying ideomotor was so hard to do, because that's not how you say it. What? It's idiomotor, like the id in your brain. Oh. So cut to me calling the idiomotor effect bullshit and watching like six episodes of YouTube shit that still doesn't make any sense to me, but to learn that I said it incorrectly. (laughs) So even with that, learn. Geniuses can fail. Albert Einstein couldn't tie his shoe. Is that true? Mm-hmm. I learned it in elementary school. I really hope it's true because I've been spouting it as a fact like <laughs> for a long time. This has been Alicia's first date fun fact for years. For years. And I got to stick with it. How are you doing? I'm good. Ready for our birthday to finally happen. Thinking about being 28. Thinking about being an adult. I went to this Ezra Furman concert mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. And Ezra Furman is, I don't know, like an alternative folk. Okay. But like a lot of the stuff that he talks about is like gender and like being a trans person and struggles with identity and like growing up and stuff like that. So wholesome. 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 Family friendly. Sometimes. Ish. Enough. Enough. A baby doesn't know shit, you know? They know nothing. They don't know how to tie their shoes. So, like, Mike and I, like, go to this concert, and I'm really pumped about it. Also, you might know them if you watch Sex Education on Netflix, Mm -hmm. because Ezra Furman did the whole score for that show. So all those songs are from him. But anyway, so we, like, go to this concert, and it's, like, standing room only. It's at the Bowery Ballroom in Manhattan. And, like, we keep kind of getting pushed up closer to the middle Mm -hmm. and we're getting surrounded by people and then the opener is like not even done yet when this girl that's like smaller than me and like we're real small we're Mm -hmm. tiny this girl she's probably like 410 kind of keeps leaning into me and like at some point her head hits my back yeah her head starts like gyrating around and hitting like the people around her i turn back after it kind of stops for a minute and her what i assume is her boyfriend some blonde guy was holding her up almost cradling her Mm -hmm. like in his armpit like holding her up like she's not conscious yeah. I turn around and I'm like, oh my God, is, is she okay? Do you want me to go get some water? And he looks down at her. This woman is not responding. 
her eyes are closed. And he's like, no, like, I'm, I'm, I think she's fine. On the inside, I was like, you're an idiot. Yeah. She's clearly not fine. But on the outside, I'm like, okay, because I respect this boundary that you're setting up. You do not need my help. I'm a stranger. So I turn back around this weird delayed response. 10 seconds after I turn around, I hear from behind me, what the fuck did she just say to you? <laughs> and this fucking woman grabs my arm yanks me over bitch what'd you say you think i need fucking water and i literally it's like dark a band playing so i'm like trying to use hand signals like i'm like a gorilla trying to sign for grapes no i just want to know if you're okay you know doing like the okay symbol which in some circles is a white power symbol but ah whoops And she's like, bitch, I don't need you to fucking. And then Mike, uh, my boyfriend, steps in between us. He reaches his arm over and just yoink, pulls me onto the other side of him and uses his body as a barrier. Yeah. I hear some yelling, but then like another girl like steps on the other side of Mike. So like I can't see her. Yeah. Concert continues. I like look over like 10 minutes later. She is like straight up unconscious. And he is holding her up by the armpits. That's wild. And then Ezra Firma gets on and plays for an hour and a half. And she is like dead weight in his arms. And like the whole time I was like, she should not be here. Mm -hmm. This is a very dangerous situation. At some point, I went to the bathroom and then we ended up like hanging out near the back so like we could dance. And that was like a lot more fun. Mm -hmm. But like since then, I've been like, should I have gone to a bouncer and been like, there's someone passed out on the dance floor. She has passed out and she's being held up by a man like would that have been the right thing to do like get them kicked out because like they if my friend were anywhere close to that state of unconsciousness i'd be like we're going home like (laughs) pack it up darling yeah we're gonna go home and we're gonna sit in bed and watch we bear bears it's like it's and that's okay but then i was also like if she doesn't know him Mm -hmm. or if she didn't know him like did i ignore with him yeah i don't know if they get thrown out would she still have to leave with him I guess that's Yeah, or I'm like, where would she go? She's like basically unconscious. Did I forsake that that woman because she yelled at me? Yeah. Did I like let her down? I don't know. I guess I've been like thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Like how do we as women look out for each other when people don't want to be helped? Is it our responsibility to constantly do that? We see someone that obviously needs help and the people around them are not looking out Responding, for them. Responding, yeah. Yeah, anyway. So yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? I would have fought her <laughs> straight up. Well, then we both would have been kicked out and we both would have gone home and my night would have been great. Yeah, I would have gone home at like 930. I was there until like fucking midnight. The dream. All right. So if you are not aware, if you've decided that this is the episode of Witch Yes that you're going to jump into. Joke's on you, fucker. We ain't talking <laughs> shit today. So just a reminder, it is our October anniversary fundraiser. Things are a little bit different. They're spooky. They're weekly. And we're trying to give away... Some money. Not to you. Not to you. To children. Sucker. <laughs> <laughs> to children in need. Yes, we have a fundraiser going on for Safe Child Africa. They're really cool. They're a UK charity that works with partners in Nigeria to help protect the rights of children who are accused of witchcraft. They educate communities and are on the ground in helping children whose lives have been disrupted by accusations of witchcraft, which includes feeding them, clothing them, giving them temporary shelter, all those great things that like little babies need just to survive oh, yes and we are three weeks into october right now what's up guys three weeks in and we are so thankful to everyone who has already donated i always think we can do a little better though yeah. like we're close we can do a little bit better i really think i could personally i haven't given any money to this fundraiser what have i done don't for the be children? like tara don't be like tara. don't be like tara be like marcel 
who gave <gasps> amount <Not> of money. <laughs> For every dollar you donate, we put your name into our witchy hat. Wait, wait, wait. What if Marcel donates $100 just because he really wants to have his tarot read So he can be on the podcast? Us. He wants so bad to be on the podcast. The Ouija episode wasn't enough. <laughs> Sorry, continue. For every dollar amount you donate, we put your name in our witchy hat. And you, you, you listener, the one who hears us in your ears. In your mind. In your mind. You don't know if we're real or fake. Yo, you could win the prize of getting a personal tarot reading by Tara and I. Ooh. Ooh. We will Skype you in or FaceTime or Google, what, whatever. We'll figure it out. Tell you what the future holds. And hopefully leave still on cordial terms. What if you meet us? I fight them. And you just fucking hate us. That sucks. But you, you're still a winner and you can take that to heart. <laughs> and we, can, we can't get and your you, money back. You donated to the children. <laughs> Think of it. The children. So you can find a link to the PayPal for the fundraiser in the show notes of our October episodes and on our Instagram. And just so you know, which we're just saying full disclosure, which yes, is not taking one cent of the money you donate. It will all go to Safe Child Africa. So tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your grandparents, because we know they're the ones who have money. Yeah. We know they have money. If they're Catholic, it's for the children. Come <laughs> on. And take some time to donate to a good cause this Halloween. XOXO Gossip Girl. <laughs> Out. All right. So what are we going to talk about today, Alicia? Necromancy. Dun, 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 dun. It's gonna be me. Dun, dun. <laughs> it was too similar. I couldn't. <laughs> you give me in sync, I reach. I reach for it. Okay. Why are we messing with dead people? I don't Witches. know. Witches. Why not? Why not? Okay, they. I can name a million reasons why not. It's probably not hygienic. That's true. Besides that, it's gross. They're decaying. Only like medical students should mess with the dead. Mm-hmm. What else do I got? Those are two very great arguments on my end. Pretty illegal in most situations. Yes. But if you are a, a lawless hooligan like myself, who loves hanging out with dead people, I don't see the problem with it. What? Because when I think of necromancy, right, I think of like raising the dead. But it seems yeah. to me that those are not actually the defined parameters. It's an parameters. aspect of it, I guess. Yeah. And not the full definition. You were uncomfortable Ouijaing. No, I hated every minute of it. Okay, but also great. your ancestors seem cool as fuck. Yeah. And your ancestors true. dead? A lot of people are dead. <laughs> are, News we flash. Just, are we supposed to just ignore their rights? We a voice for the voiceless. Do you lose your rights when you're dead? Like all rights? I think there are things that you still get. Insurance. Medicaid. Oh, Medicare. Gone. Goodbye. Gone. Yeah, that inheritance, not anymore. But that's why you have the will, because it's like your last wishes. Do you have a will? No, I'm 27. Yeah, but do you have any like... I have Artemis, and she's going to outlive everyone. Right, cool. So what happens when you die? Where does she go? My mom's Linda. (laughs) My mom seems to think she's going to get Artemis. She's got three German Shepherds. She ain't getting my cat. Oh my God, those German Shepherds. What eats? A snack. (laughs) Not even a full breakfast. No. It's like fucking Cerberus with my cat like going up against them. It doesn't make sense. Probably go to Marcel. You guys are going to die together together forever. In some horrible car crash. That is how I've always imagined it. True love. With Artemis. No. (laughs) She's in the car with us. Like an Egyptian queen. We all die together. That could be nice. You would kill your cat? No. I would hire someone to kill my cat for me. That is what you were saying. No, I mean, I'd just be dead. 
so I wouldn't know. But if my arm's just like a little tucked and she's right here, mm. cute. Mm-hmm. And she can come back as a mummy. Yep. Yeah. Easy. Mummy cats. Mummy cat. Do you have a will? I'm in the process of writing a will because On, I like, have a lot of art. Diary paper? On it, Google Doc. Oh, okay. <laughs> But I did do a rough draft on college rule paper, if you must know. (laughs) I mean, I think it's still legal if you sign it. Yeah, but you need maybe like a witness. Yeah, does it have to be like you have to take it to what what are those called? A notarizer, maybe? Notarizer. I was going to say adjunct, but that's not at all the right word. (laughs) I don't know if it is a notarizer, but it sounds like a a legal term. Mm -hmm. But yes, I just I have a lot of art that could someday be worth something, so... I want to know who to burden with it. Who gets the warehouse of art? Well, it's and some of them are a real burden. I have like these six by five foot paintings of myself nude. Amazing. As my body is decomposing. Mm -hmm. Just a quick glimpse into the future. Yes. (laughs) It was divinatory in a sense. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And then who who else gets like the cool shit? Whoever's not in your burn book. Yeah. Which is a whole other notarized document. (laughs) Witnessed and everything. <laughs> All right. So necromancy is basically using magic to communicate with the dead. So it's not just raising the dead, but you can raise the dead, which is extraordinarily concerning. But you can also use bodies and like talking to the dead, to ancestors, to spirits through divination, like telling the future, discovering where the herd of secret jewels are, etc., etc. Or I put in caps, you can bring someone back from the dead and use that person as a weapon. That's terrifying. Which is very Harry Potter. Mm. Yeah, those things called inferi. Yes. We're going to commit to it. Inferi. Inferi? I have no idea. Yeah, inferius is one, inferi is a group. Latin. <laughs> it's, like it's Latin. So those were corpses that would come alive to attack people normally by a dark wizard. And I guess that's a form of necromancy. Mm, and we're dark wizards. So. A Harry Potter and the Dark Arts. So it is also referred to as death magic. Hell yeah. It sounds so fucking metal. Metal? It sounds so scary. Uh, And you've just got to get your hands dirty to do this black magic, death magic. And so we haven't really talked much about black magic or dark magic. And it would definitely be a good episode to do. But we're not doing that right now, sucka. So sit down. Essentially, there is Put your knives away. (laughs) Knives away. Stop stealing all of those baby animals. Please give your neighbor her dogs back. (laughs) You psychopath. You fucking psychopath. Donate. $20 to Safe Child Africa, you psychopath. (laughs) Fucking sociopath. All right, knives away, dogs back home. Essentially, there's magic that is good and positive, or there's magic that either has the intent to harm or meddle with people, or that is just being used for bad, selfish gains. Dark magic, good magic, black magic, white magic, kind of get the picture, sure. Not like I lit this money candle because I would like to pay the rent, but more like I think the guy at Starbucks is really hot and I know he's in a relationship, so I'm going to do something so that he breaks up with his girlfriend and dates me. <laughs> Bad witch. Bad. Bad to the bone. Don't do that. That's not good. But I want him. My needs come above the collective. You know, he's probably got so much baggage that you don't even know about because you're just staring at him through your pumpkin spice latte. Dude, okay, but you also, like, do not know what kind of weird fetishes. You've never seen his feet naked, so just that's a whole thing. he gets excited when you say extra whip does not mean he's good for you. He might be fun once or twice, but he might be allergic to dairy. We don't know. This could just be a wild ride for him. The word necromancy is derived from the ancient Greek word nekia, I'm assuming that's how you say it, 
which was the cult practice of calling up ghosts and questioning that was seen in Homer's Odyssey. It then became necromantia in Latin and turned into necromancy by the 17th century English. I kind of like necromantia. Sounds like a like, like a, a name. name. Yeah. yeah. Like a really cool girl at school. Necromantia. She's got that jean jacket with all the all the buttons. What are the the Monster High dolls or like oh a brat doll? I think I like missed all of that growing up. Watched a lot of TV. What channel was that on? Cartoon Network. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I think they also have like a TV series too now. Oh, probably. By now. All right. So with anything, knowledge comes power. Power comes knowledge. So sit down. We're going to talk about history. Ooh, my big brain. So heavy. So heavy. Necromancy has been around for like a very, 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 very long time. Historians have records of it being practiced in Egypt, Babylonia, Greece, Rome, and Persia. As we mentioned before, the oldest literary account was in Homer's Odyssey. And for those who don't remember, essentially, Odysseus went down to the underworld and tried to summon a seer spirit by participating in necromantic rituals. Nothing good was going to come from that. A bit of performing around a fire pit at night, sacrificing animals, and concocting a libation for the ghosts as Odysseus chants prayers and shit like that to get their attention. We also see necromancy in the Bible. What? What a fun book. I'm a little bit getting to be a fan of this book. It's really full of surprises. <laughs> like lots of twists and turns. There's also this book I really want to read. It's a collection of the Psalms and stuff that didn't make it into the Bible. There's one where Jesus fights a dragon. That's awesome. And that's not just revelations? I don't think so. I think it's like the book of Psalms when they were putting together the Bible They were like, we got to consolidate this mess. They were like, yo, no one's going to believe this shit. Yeah. Got to take out this other stuff. Jesus didn't hang glide into Babylonia. It was just like some weird gecko. And they were like, (laughs) dragon. Yeah. They saw its shadow. Very Mulan. Yeah, yeah. It was mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy, which basically said using divination was a no-no. This book was a bummer. (laughs) And although in Leviticus, Mosaic law said you'd get the death penalty if you were a wizard, let alone practice necromancy, not everyone listened. Because who listens? Who reads? At this point, probably not a lot of people. I'm going to be real. (laughs) No one could read this. There is a story called The Witch of Endor, and I guess this witch invoked the spirit of Samuel. I don't know who he is. I don't know why he matters. Some guy. Some dude using a conjuring pit. And it doesn't sound like she actually meant to, since she seemed to freak out that he was alive, like he caught her off guard. (laughs) Not the best witch, maybe, but you know, it's okay. But what goes around comes around, and although Samuel didn't get put to death, he literally died in battle the next day. So happily ever after. Rest in peace. Again. Again. He wakes up to go fight and to die once more. All that effort for nothing. A true hero. True mosaic hero. So how did these ancient ones communicate with the dead, you might be asking. So it is said that rituals were quite elaborate and could involve magic circles, wands, talismans, and different incantations. The necromancer may be wearing the dead person's clothing or eat foods. Okay, Macklemore, Jesus fucking Christ. Say what? (laughs) Said okay, Macklemore. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's a dark wizard. He's a dark wizard. Sorry. (laughs) No, I like that you enjoyed your joke. I'm here for it. Or eat foods that symbolize <laughs> decay and death, like unleavened black bread, which sounds gross, and unfermented grape juice, which also sounds gross. Some people even went so far as mutilating and consuming corpses. They are eating oh, the dead. that's so gross. That's really nasty. That's fucking disgusting. Whoever out there is like, hmm, no, bad, bad, bad. That's me using the spray bottle. 
I like that. These ceremonies would take hours, days, and even weeks to lead up to the summoning of the spirit. Normally at a burial site or graveyard, you know, somewhere fun and spooky, obviously. It is also said that necromancers only had 12 months, so one year, to raise the dead of those who just passed. Because they're the fresh ones. For those who had been dead for longer, necromancers would just try to communicate with their spirit instead. There was no use. They were too decayed. Yeah, they're probably like mostly bones. Bugs. Yep. Just maggots. New tiny bugs. Tiny bugs. Ugh. Ugh. One's hiding in my shower right now. Stop. Ugh. Ugh. Gross. Jumping over to Rome, during the Battle of Pharsalus, Sextus, the son of Pompey the Great. I don't know who these people are. They were great. They were great. Respect your elders. I don't know. Sought the help of Yerikho, a powerful and terrifying witch. Regardless of her reputation, Sextus needed to know who was going to win the Battle of Pharsalus and any way he could help defeat his enemies. So into the battlefield, our witchy hero, Erikho, went. She searched and searched for an uninjured cadaver whose neck and lungs still allowed him to speak. That is gross. Oh, God. He's basically not alive, but... She had to uh, touch it with her hands. Oh, I'm sure she had to, like, grab and drag. Ooh, yeah, because they're so battling, and you're like, ooh, gotta get it, ooh. <laughs> She's just me. ducking around, like, under bullets. There aren't any bullets. <laughs> under bullets, like, crawling to this cadaver, feels a slight heartbeat, kills him. I don't know how she would kill him. In the leg? I don't know. In the tummy. In the tummy drags him back how old is she i imagine that she was elderly me too so yo she got mad skills she'd be an olympian oh yeah she jazzercises for sure oh for sure she's basically your mom except your mom's not old but your mom's in good health that joke didn't work mostly leave it in so appalled leave it in so my mother never ever desperately invites alicia to any family function ever again i mean like your mom's so in shape Yes, I know. Your mom could be like 400 and no one would know. My mother could drag a freshly dead corpse from a live battlefield. This we know. Okay. (laughs) We're all on my side. (laughs) We all good. When she found one, she cleaned out the organs and cut a hole above the heart. So gross. Filling the cadaver's body with a potion consisting of hyena flesh, snake skin, and the foam from the mouths of rabid dogs. This woman was wild. How did she get that? She just... <laughs> Who gave this shwoop, stuff to her? Shwoop. She's just good. She's just good at her job. She called on the help of Hermes and successfully summoned the spirit to which the soldier's body was reanimated. The spirit told Sextus that the war would break and that Sextus would die his own early death in it. But luckily for Sextus, that information was all he needed to accept his fate. And although he still fought hard, he did indeed die in battle. But it was, like, comforting. It was, like, closure for him. Like, it was inevitable. Like, yeah. Like, there's nothing you could have done. Exactly. Which it seems like a whole lot of work. And what a, like, distraction just to find out that information. I guess in the situation where they believe in an afterlife. Yeah. I feel like that was a waste because by the time you found out the end, you would be dead. Yeah. Was that an efficient use of your time? I don't know. Is necromancy ever an efficient use of your time? Oh, get ready. I have a whole section okay. on some very efficient ways to use necromancy. Oh, my God. Great. I'm excited. Fast forward into the future. Medieval necromancy was thought to be a mixture of astral magic from Arabic influences and exorcism from Christian and Jewish teachings. The Arabic influences include involving moon phases, sun placement, day of the week, and time of day. All very important when you're trying to talk to the dead. Unlike what you'd normally think, necromancy practitioners of early medieval times were normally members of the Christian clergy. Weird, right? So they were still non-clerical people doing it, but 
most were highly educated people partaking in this fun sport of necromancy. (laughs) The medieval practitioners of necromancy sought to accomplish three things with necromancy. Number one, will manipulation. They wanted to affect the minds and wills of other people, animals, or spirits. The book Magic in the Middle Ages by Richard Kekefer. All the weird words today. Kekefer. Kekefer. Richard K. Good old Ricky K. Ricky K. The book Magic in the Middle Ages by Ricky K. People are going to like look it up and be like, who? (laughs) Stated that demons were summoned to cause various afflictions on others, to drive them mad, to inflame them, to love or hatred, to gain their favor, or to constrain them to do or not do some deed. Number two reason, illusions. They wanted to create illusions that would reanimate the dead or conjure food, entertainment, or a mode of transportation. And I really wish the article had said more about the mode of transportation because I don't know what they're doing. Where are they going with the dead? Is it like a rickshaw where the dead are pulling us? Magic school dead bus? I don't know. Weird. Yeah. Magic school dead bus. Easy. Magic dead school bus. And number three, we're always about the pursuit of knowledge. They wanted to discover and learn things that only demons would have knowledge about, which sounds like you're trifling real hard. Those things include identifying criminals, finding items like the Herder family jewels, or exposing future events that were currently unknown. Performing medieval necromancy was similar to that of ancient times. You'd use magic circles, conjurations, and sacrifices. The circles were usually traced on the ground. Sometimes sigils would be written into the ground, which were a mixture of Christian and occult symbols. Circles were believed to contain what was inside the circle, thus it kept the demons inside the circle and the necromancer on the outside safe. I feel like I've seen this in Supernatural. I've never seen Supernatural. I read this in a children's book once, though. For the conjurations, a mix of powerful special words and sentences that used Christian prayers or biblical verses to conjure the demons. These were normally chanted repeatedly until the demon emerged. Oh, God. So, if once you don't succeed, try, try again. <laughs> chant, chant again. Chant, chant again. And then sacrificing didn't always have to be an animal, but it could include an object as well. Fun fact. Sometimes there was a whole ritual around ascertaining that object or animal, like the location, the time, and how you gather or kill the thing were all very important traits that played into necromancy of the time. Did they say like what kind of objects or like how you choose an object? I think it's like talismans. So something that would just like Uh, represent that person. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. I could get down with some of that. Whenever people are like, Oh, yeah, it's like you have to sacrifice something, but it's not like Lent where you give up chocolate or give up drinking. It's like, oh, you have to find a pig and And raise it, it. and then you murder it and use its blood to trace a circle so that you can do whatever dark. Find a pig, nurse it to health, kill it. (laughs) Find a sick pig, a piglet. You You make bacon. (laughs) No. Call it Charlie. Eat the bacon. Burn the rest. This is why I don't eat meat. Y'all are wild. It was also mentioned that many... (laughs) I was in that moment. She was in it. It was also mentioned that many hallucinogenic herbs from the nightshade family were used in necromantic rituals as well. So these herbs include black henbane, jimson weed, or mandrake, and all three of these plants are poisonous, so don't get any ideas. I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want to get a call from your mom or your poor grandmama who's raising you by herself. Please do not play with plants that you don't know anything about. Don't talk to strange plants, you guys. You don't know their intentions. Don't do it. Don't eat strange plants. Don't do it. That's how that kid died in Alaska. Like, no. We're going to fast forward again 
into the late Middle Ages into the early Renaissance. So during the 15th century, a grimoire manuscript called the Munich Manual of Demonic Magic was released which was primarily concerned with demonology and necromancy. The Munich Manual basically said using religious language alongside the names of powerful demons was how you could summon a demon. The book was released in Latin, but on pages 130 to 133, it included a list of 11 demons that could be summoned. Ooh, whoa. Mm -hmm. And then the text was edited in 1998 under the title Forbidden Rites, a Necromancer's Manual of the 15th Century. But fun fact... A Russian translation of this Latin grimoire was published in 2019. However, it has not been fully translated into English yet. Oh, man, it's like $22 on A-Books. Oh, it's $31 on Amazon. Would you say it's in Latin? I think like the full thing is in Latin, yeah. But it was recently translated in 2019 into what? Russian. Okay, so. So you need a Russian friend. But also, maybe they're just saying people who speak English shouldn't have this power. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> The Russians, because it's the, the Wild Russians West over there. What? Who's making these choices? This is my new task. This is it. Learn Russian. Well, if the people on Stranger Things, if two teens and two preteens could figure it out, I bet I could. Yes, the authorities were quite baffled that they could figure it out. <laughs> and then we're going to fast forward one more time. Dude, am I going to get cancer from all this time travel? Probably. It's not healthy for anyone. To modern times. Necromancy practices still exist today. Voodoo and Santeria practices still incorporate necromancy to connect and communicate with the dead. And necromancy is still practiced in the Afro-Brazilian religion called Kumbanda, which is in some urban areas of Brazil. It is closely connected to the spirits of Pombagira, who is associated with female sexuality, beauty, witchcraft, and spirit possession. She seems real dope, not mm -hmm. gonna lie. Bone throwing is also an ancient and modern practice of necromancy that is still used today. If we had been able to bone throw in Massachusetts when we went, we could give you more information on this. However, no one gave that privilege to us. So now we know nothing. Thanks. Thanks. Apparently it consists of tossing human or animal bones onto a mat and then deciphering their meaning. But I would have loved to learn this in person. Yeah, it would have been nice to experience it. That's all we have to say about that. Mallory's still pissed and she's a Scorpio, so she won't get over it. <laughs> and although collecting bones and graveyard dirt has been a consistent ritual of necromancy, modern necromancy makes an effort to avoid brutality and desecration of burial sites. Let's be respectful of all things dead or alive. Did you hear that that controversy of the Tumblr girl who was selling like graveyard dirt and like people's bones, Ew. like human bones? It was wild. Tumblr's she like weird. had a whole like business set up where she was like collecting graveyard dirt in like old ass cemeteries. And then sometimes she would like come across some bones and she'd take them. Ew. Like a fucking psychopath i feel like i could understand graveyard dirt if you're like at the entrance and you're like i'm gonna just scoop some here not like next to a grave oh yeah absolutely like, that just seems rude well like in the corner get in the corner get some little graveyard dirt like i know that there's she haunted is something haunting her well yeah i can't remember how it happened i think she might either be in prison right now or because you're not allowed to sell because the thing is she was selling it and you're not allowed to sell human hmm. organs or bones except for teeth and hair. Why would I want your teeth or hair? I don't know. I have tons of my own hair that comes out every time I shower. Well, you could be rich. And my mom might still have my baby teeth, which is already crazy <laughs> and gross. That is pretty gross. I never understood that. I don't get it either. 
Maybe she can use it. They're so tiny, the dark too. Hearts. Baby yeah. teeth are tiny and creepy. All right, Tara. So do you want to talk about one of your worst fears right now? One of my actual real-life irrational phobias? I don't know if it's irrational if people do necromancy. <laughs> for real. Okay. Crazy people. So in college, I would do this ritual every morning when I was living in a dorm. Mm-hmm. And still think I did it in Portland, too. Because we were in the city center. But I would wake up and I would hold as still as humanly possible and listen for like movement outside. Mm-hmm. Then I would slowly, like a mouse, like a ninja mouse, creep towards my window mm-hmm. and then just ever so slightly peek beyond the curtain and see if there were zombies outside. And I would wait like a solid 10 minutes, like just in case, because I was so terrified of being in a zombie apocalypse. I feel like living in Brooklyn's worse than those two places. Well, yeah, but now that I have my zombie plan, like, I feel a lot better. Oh, okay. Which is to just kill myself. <laughs> Quick, easy, efficient. It's, you know, a little I messy. have no skills for survival. I am not a good runner or swimmer. I have anxiety, so I probably won't be a good sleeper. You and pass out first look dude honestly yeah like i hear a moan and then i'm like <gasps> heart attack yeah your poor little heart and my poor little it, it cannot take this heart. It cannot take this yeah that's too much stress for you so then like to my absolute horror to find out that there are real life voodoo zombies historical voodoo zombies as you know recent as da, 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 i like want to cry 1962 my dad was born that year. He was there. My dad? That explains everything. Why we never know where he goes, what he does. Just voodoo zombieing it up. A specter in the night. Oh my gosh. Is Walter Michael Keck. Okay, so I definitely want to do an episode on the history of voodoo and its translation from West Africa to Haiti and Brazil. But I want to do like a really quick rundown for today. Yeah. So French slavers kidnapped and trafficked people from West and Central Africa to Haiti to work on sugar plantations. Haitian plantations were known to be some of the worst and most brutal places to be. The life expectancy of someone held captive there, get this, was fucking two years. Ew. That's basically hell on earth. So African voodoo is very different from Haitian voodoo because in order to preserve their faith and ancestral stories, the people held as slaves in Haiti intertwined voodoo with Catholicism, specifically disguising their loa and spirits as Catholic saints, which is fucking genius. That's pretty cool. That was smart thinking. So now necromancy as communing with spirits and speaking with ancestors is still a facet of voodoo today. But older practices have tales of voodoo zombies, which, again, is my literal waking nightmare. That's so crazy. All right. Before we get into these zombie stories, you need to know a little bit about Haitian voodoo. And I am not an expert in any way. I was born in Sacramento, California. I lived a great deal of time in Carmel, Indiana. I have no experience with Haitian voodoo. And please forgive me. And this will be the only time that I ask for this. But if I get something wrong or butcher something... I want you to let me know so I can correct it in our full voodoo episode. This is the only time. This is the only time you want to be called out on this podcast ever. 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 And you're going to do it privately in a private DM or an email. Do it as a comment on Instagram. Please let everyone don't. see. Dear God, please don't. You're going to make like a whole YouTube channel where these, this is the issues with which, yes. Point I by point. I hope one day we are listened enough that someone devotes their time to something so silly as that. <laughs> okay. According to Voodoo, the soul consists of two parts, 
It is in French, and I'm not going to read it, but it basically means the big good angel and the little good angel. The big good angel is responsible for the physical functions of your body, and the little good angel looks out for the source of your personality, your willpower, your consciousness, and identity. Okay? Two separate parts. Easy. Cool. Now, say you're a Bakor, a voodoo practitioner, and you have this uncle that fucking sucks. He's a bad guy. And oh, what's this? You also have these turnips that you need to harvest. So you look at your uncle, Greg, and you think to yourself, hmm, my uncle Greg sure is the worst, and he's also very muscular, and boy, am I tired of working on this turnip farm. I really should have finished dental school. Maybe I'll go back to school. But in the meantime, I'm going to turn Uncle Greg into a zombie to work on my turnip farm. Okay, so now that you have selected your target, you're going to administer this powder that usually incorporates pufferfish, a marine toad, a hyla tree frog, and human remains. I do not know where you're going to get the human remains. I'm not going to ask any questions. Apparently, the addition of the pufferfish is important because it produces a deadly neurotoxin that leads to paralysis and death. I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah, because it's like in sushi. Because people eat like the pufferfish sushi and you have to make sure it's like really high grade quality chef because like people have died. Oh. Mm -hmm. Because it's like a really thin membrane that like protects the poison sack. I assume it's a sack. It could be anything. People are dangerous. I know. Oh. To eat meat. Okay. You have administered this powder to your target, which is your Uncle Greg, who again, sucks. The source I read mentioned a blow dart, which I thought was cool as hell. That's cool. And then your Uncle Greg enters a state of death-like paralysis in which he is still conscious, but he is pronounced dead and is buried alive. His heart rate slows. He can't move. His breath is so shallow that it's not picked up. No. By like people listening, doing like the glass under the nose trick. So he's buried a fucking life. And he's probably awake for it. Oh. So to keep your uncle from suffocating, you got to dig him up within eight hours because that's when he's going to run out of oxygen. And that is when the ritual begins. And I'm not going to tell you how to do it. No, you can't make me do it. No, no. Mm-mm. But the goal of the Bakor is to capture the little good angel part of your soul which means the body is only left with the big good angel. And that big good angel is now under the control of the Bakor. Does that make sense? So like the Bakor revives the now zombie's body with a hallucinogenic substance that's administered periodically to keep the body in a state of confusion and submission. And then the zombies are sent to work. The look on Alicia's face is of worry and, and grief. Confusion. Confusion. Yo, I hate my Uncle Greg. Why would I turn him into a zombie? Because he's going to go work on your turnip farm so you don't have to do it anymore. Do they actually work, though? Do they do, because I have a story of a recorded incident. Okay. Get ready. All right, all right, all right. All right. Now, come on this journey with me. There is a ghoulishly abused body sent to work, hard labor, for long hours, in inhumane conditions, because the body is no longer considered to be a full human, but rather a soulless creature made for slavery. Does this sound familiar? Because it's basically how the Haitians were treated in Haiti. Is it any wonder that the voodoo religion would evolve to include a version of hell that also involves toiling away for eternity? Now, if you want to free a zombie from the control of its bakor, apparently you just got to feed them salt. After which you should probably get out of the way because apparently they are compelled to kill. Oh, that's fair. Mostly for justice. I think you deserve that. That's all right. Once their revenge is complete, they go back to their grave and finally die peacefully. Are you want to hear about this zombie? Yeah. The year is 1962. The day, April 30th. The time, I do not know. Okay. 
A man named Clarvius Narcissus. That is probably not how you say this. Clarvius? I don't know. Clarivius is admitted to the Albert Schweitzer. Schweitzer? I should try to say these out loud before I read this. He's admitted to a hospital in okay. Haiti. He's got a high fever and his body aches. But what's more alarming is that he's also spitting up a lot of blood. Gross. Yeah, that's not good. A day or so passes and the doctors come in to see Clarvius and they're like, fuck, he's not doing so good. So they call in one of his sisters, Angelina, and she's there. And she's holding his hand when he dies. Rest in peace. Happily ever after. Good night, sweet prince. The end. Into the darkness. I walk a lonely road. The only road. I have ever known. I have ever known. Clarvius is put in cold storage for a day and then buried first thing in the morning on May 3rd. On May 13th, a concrete memorial slab was placed on top of the grave by his family. The Narciss family grieves, tries to get on with their life, and these slabs are huge. Like, look at this picture. That is his grave. He's sitting on his grave. This is the man. Ew. Okay. So, 18 years pass. It is now 1980. Okay. We know people that are have been alive in 1980. That's true. Your dad's still. My dad's still alive. He's still alive. But is he living? He's 18. He's probably living. <laughs> He's having a great time in California. And Angelina is approached by a man in public. Remember, this is Clarius's sister who watched him die. So she's approached by a man in a public marketplace saying that he is Clarius. And he doesn't just use his first name. He uses his childhood nickname that only his siblings would have known. And they didn't tell me what it was, so... Secret secrets are no fun. Exactly. Clarvius explains that 18 years ago, he had turned down a deal to sell his part of the family land that he had inherited to his brother. So his brother went to a bakor and arranged for Clarvius to be turned into a zombie so the land would naturally be passed to him. Brothers, right? I don't... This turning people into a zombie to get rid of them does not seem like an efficient solution. (laughs) It's literally (laughs) bow and arrow, crossbow, poof. Dead. I like the blow dart. The blow <laughs> dart was very cool. Dead. Done. So apparently Clarius had been dug up before the slab was placed on his grave in the cemetery. And he had spent two years working as a zombie on a farm in northern Haiti with 150 other zombies. What? Nine of whom were female. Hmm, this sounds like a man's issue. <laughs> now, after two years, the Bacor was killed by one of his zombies. And along with the other zombies, Clarius left the plantation he was at. But he was worried that if he returned to his family, his brother would either kill him or set him up to become a zombie again. And it wasn't until his brother died 18 years later after his abduction that he felt safe to return home. What? Yeah. Yo, that brother's a dick. Well, for one, yes. Unattested. Poor Angelina. Also, who's the real victim here? Who is the real victim here? Now she has to take him in? Yeah, and like, you haven't had a job in 18 years? Your resume is worthless. He he did. (laughs) He did have a job at one point. Fuck, dude. Right? And he just found out his bakor was killed. The bakor being killed acts as a catalyst for the spell to be lifted. And this is my understanding that if we want to get scientific about it, right? So it's like, you are administered this poison Mm -hmm. that puts you in a death-like state. Yeah. And like all of your faculties, you are conscious and you're aware, but like your ability to control your body and move. Like he said in an interview that he saw them pull the sheet over on top of him. He like remembers the sound of his sister crying from underneath the sheet. And then they give you this hallucinogenic drug that just like keeps you so confused and so compliant and you have no will. The thought of standing up to your bakor is not even a feasible 
yeah. thought. This is wild. Yeah. Ooh, but I don't scary. understand the salt thing. This is scary. I hate, there he is, just a picture of him sitting on his grave of marble. And also, from other interviews, it sounded like he's also kind of an asshole. This guy? Yeah. And then his family didn't really like him that much. Oh, god damn. Poor Angelina. I know. She is the true victim in she all of this. She loses one asshole brother, 18 years loses another asshole brother, and then gains the first asshole and this brother. And Joker comes in. She's like, fuck, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to learn how to be a bacore. Like, fuck this. <laughs> This shit's wild. All right. Deepest respects to Angelina. That does not sound fun. Welcome. It's an old house. The door opens. Spooky. Little mice dancing. (laughs) It's like the sound of a woman with those high heel shoes. It's like a principal. Click, clack. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then like a scrapey sound. Alicia's spooky story corner. The monster mash. <laughs> That's terrifying. It's so scary. Okay. The year is 1969. Carolyn and Roger Perrin live in the suburb of Cumberland, Rhode Island with their five young daughters. Ah! Oh, that's not the scary part. That's not it yet. (laughs) We're not there yet. The oldest, Andrea, who was only 10 years old when things began to fall apart, is the keeper of the story and noted a series of tragedies that led her family to move from the suburbs to a secluded country estate. The parent family had recently adopted a puppy. And while Andrea and her four sisters were taking the dog on a walk around the neighborhood, it wrenched itself loose from its leash and ran into the street. When the girls called to it, the dog ran back across the street and was hit by a car. Dragged by its collar under the tires. That is gruesome. That is gross. When a police officer arrived, he yelled at the girls to run home. And as they ran, they heard his gun go off. Was the puppy not dead? The story sucks. (laughs) Weeks later, a girl at their elementary school had been tied to playground equipment, gagged and assaulted by two preteen boys. And soon after that, the parents had returned home from a family vacation to see that their house had been broken into, robbed, ransacked, and one of their cats had been brutally killed and left out on the porch to rot. The other three cats were nowhere to be found. They have a lot of animals. Well, yes. I think people did that in the 60s. Just own a lot of animals? They took in like stray animals. All right. So don't live in Cumberland, Rhode Island, apparently. The culprits were three 12-year-old boys that lived next door. Carolyn, the mother, was left alone a great deal of the time since her husband traveled for business and was browsing the newspaper when she saw an advertisement boasting of a 200-acre estate in northern Rhode Island. This woman had just watched her daughters go through traumatic event after traumatic event and seen the safety of their community and home violated repeatedly. She sees this farm in Buckfuck Nowhere, Harrisville, and she's like, I'm gonna go buy this farm. And so she goes, and so she buys, all before her husband gets home. Because yeah, he can just follow. It doesn't really matter, it's right? Like, who, who's got the power of the purse? Yeah. All right, so Roger, like, isn't excited. But when he gets there to see the old house, he falls in love with it. And so do the girls. So they move their little family and whatever cats they have left. Do they have any cats left? I think there are. Three cats. Three cats. That were left, that were not killed. There are four cats in total. One is killed, two were missing, and one that is an older cat, I think, goes with them. Okay, so one cat. Little family, one cat. Move everyone into the old Arnold estate. The previous owner, an elderly man, was walking with Roger around the house as they moved the family in January 1970, and he offered Roger a bit of advice, verbatim. For the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night. 
he should have just been like, don't move in. I don't understand these neighbors not helping. Anyways, anyways. It started off like any other haunting. The sound of movement in other rooms when Carolyn and her five-year-old were home alone. Footsteps like someone was upstairs. And then it felt like queasiness, nausea, a heavy feeling that you weren't alone, missing time. Carolyn would feel this weight in the pit of her stomach for just a moment and then look up to find that hours had passed. One of the children, Cynthia, described something she called the bubble, which was an icy tingle where all time stopped, a bubble that she would unknowingly enter and then be paralyzed within until it passed. The girls confessed to each other that whenever they ran down the hallway towards the kitchen, they could feel eyes watching them, and they would not go near the heavy cellar door that would open on its own saying that they had seen a man hiding behind the doorframe. <laughs> That's enough to make me move, yo. I'm like, goodbye. Yeah. The family began noticing a foul and acidic stench coming from the pantry that would unlatch itself and swing open in violent bursts. Their family pets refused to enter the house, hissing and cowering as they were dragged in. Yo, fair. That's fair. <laughs> the house was constantly besieged by swarms of loud buzzing flies that were immune to poison and seemed to crawl out of the walls and from underneath the floorboards. Carolyn's limbs became achy and swollen, her neck and head constantly in pain. The little girls created a buddy system where if one of them needed to leave the group to go to the bathroom or go to the kitchen to grab snacks, she'd always be accompanied by another sister. They would leave toys in the woodshed or in the living room and come back to see them shattered or twisted. And then it got worse. I was like, worse? Yeah, no, this sounds awful. During their first winter in the house, Carolyn walked into the barn attached to their property to assess its condition when she heard a whooshing sound. Whoosh, whoosh. She thought maybe a bird was in the rafters, but when she looked up, a hand scythe was plummeting towards her. It sliced her scarf and winter coat, barely missing her throat and collarbone, though the handle hit her and bruised her entire shoulder. Most mornings, the family would wake up to the smell of rotting flesh, their covers torn from their beds and crumpled in the corner. Which is like the most terrifying thing to me. Because it's like not scary. only did it just fall off, but something pushed it and crunched it into the corner. Sometimes children would wake up to the smell and find themselves on the floor next to their beds. The girls complained of their hair being pulled and their ankles being yanked by cold hands. Carolyn became weak and sickly. She aged rapidly over the course of their first winter. But her husband, Roger, who was often gone and the only male in the house, experienced very little haunting. Hmm. It was the husband. Was he just abusing his family? Maybe. But like with tricks and mischief? Illusions. <laughs> just illusions. That acidic smell in the pantry? I'm sure it's a ghost and not all those chips and sour cream I left back there. Oops. Sorry. He dismissed everything as coincidence as his wife and children grew colder and colder, sleepless and aching. It's a bad dad. The parent children lived with these apparitions throughout their childhood. Andrea says that the spirits that came out during the day were generally benign or mischievous, lurking around corners as translucent dark hazes, changing radio stations, and turning things upside down. But the spirit that came out at night was malevolent and violent. It would beat Carolyn with coat hangers leaving welts on her body and slap her in the face without warning. It would send her waking visions of her dresser and children on fire. There was an incident where Carolyn was taking a nap and heard the light sound of footsteps crossing the wooden floor of her bedroom. Oof! She sleepily rolled over and called out to them, thinking it was one of her children. 
What's the matter, honey? She reached out her arms to embrace her daughter, but then the smell hit her. I have chills. Rotting and spoiled meats. And then she opened her eyes. She found a torso. This is how she described it in her journal. <laughs> the dress, rusty green jersey, handmade, hand-dyed fabric belt cinched at the waist with an oval buckle covered in the same fabric vintage clothing. It was a being from another time, ugly beehive head, a hornet's nest, broken neck, snapped hanging to the side, no eyes, no mouth, gray mesh cobwebs, no hands, no feet, just floating above me. It was cold, so cold, and I can't breathe, vile, evil, death. It was coming closer, cold, so close, too close, and it wants to touch me, don't touch me, head draped at an angle, and it wants a kiss. Dear Lord, oh my God. Ew. Ew, ew. <laughs> Years passed. Spirits tormented and abused the Perrin girls. And eventually, Carolyn calls in a pair of psychic mediums, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Lorraine is said to have been a clairvoyant and immediately sensed a dark spirit within the house that went by the name Bathsheba. Now, a woman named Bathsheba Thayer was born in Rhode Island in 1812 and lived out her days on the Arnold estate with her husband until their death in 1880. Bathsheba was known to be strikingly beautiful and her husband doted on her. The dream life. The dream. However, though she gave birth to many children, only one survived infancy. It was a hard time back then. One of Bathsheba's... Oh my God, her name. Bathy. Sheebs? Good old Sheebs. One of Bathsheba's children, a son, had died violently from a blow to the back of the head, and rumors began to spread around the neighboring families that Bathsheba had murdered her own child. Perhaps she wanted her husband's attention all to herself. Perhaps she wanted a girl. And while Bathsheba denied the accusations, the rumors grew rapidly. Some said she tortured and sexually abused her staff and had killed all her lost children. Bathsheba died at the age of 68, and all that remained of her once beautiful and opulent self was a creature bitter and filled with rage, having been tormented by the infamy of suspicion. Lorraine went on to say that Bathsheba was infatuated with Roger and Carolyn was in the way. The rapid aging of Carolyn was in fact Bathsheba attempting to possess her and assume her role as Roger's wife. The Warrens told the parents that an exorcism would not be possible, but they could hold a seance to speak to Bathsheba. A deep well that resided in the center dark cellar beneath the house seemed to be the source of the activity. So it was only natural that the seance was held there. It's a fucking bad idea. <laughs> a well? Oh my god, I watched the ring. This is awful. <laughs> Once the seance began, Carolyn was immediately affected. She began to groan as if her stomach ached. Words dripped like heavy syrup from her mouth, but it was not any recognizable language. And then she began to rise, her head cocked to the side, up out of her chair, up off the ground, and then she hung there. Her body jerked, distorting itself into crunched and twisted shapes. The Warren shouted, the children screamed and held one another. And whatever else happened that night, they'll never know. All we know is that the parents don't live in Rhode Island anymore. And Andrea won't say what happened to her and her sisters at the hands of the man behind the doorframe. Later, a movie would be based off of Andrea's account of her childhood. It was titled The Conjuring. Dun, 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 dun. It's gonna be me. It's so scary. <laughs> It's so scary. So Andrea wrote a series of three books um, about her experience. And and this bitch will never reveal in any of them? It is literally so irritating because the way that she wrote them, 
it's like this encounter with the Warrens is like sprinkled throughout. Yeah. And they're and it's like they're it's not foreshadowing, but it's not a flashback. It's like a weird flash forward. Yeah. Where like things are happening and they're like having these encounters and then it's like later Lorraine would say this and this and that and this and this and that. Mm. And then it's like, but then at school the next day and I'm like, tell me what Lorraine said. Yeah. Like, stop playing these mind games with me. Have you seen The Conjuring? No, I don't watch scary movies. Oh, it's good. It's a good one. I recommend it. It's definitely a spook. I watched it last year, and I think it was too spooky for me to watch it this year. So, giving myself a break. And the thing that I thought was really sort of funny is the Warrens told them that they couldn't have an exorcism. Not because, like, Bathsheba was, like, too powerful or anything like that, but because they didn't think that the parents were a religious family. And you can only have an exorcism if you're a religious family? I guess you got to believe in it. I don't know. If I'm if something's bothering me like this, I think I would, I would anything. Just, yeah, I don't care. Are right, you ready for some cute spook? Yeah, like some poor parent girls staying together through the rough spooky times. To get snacks. To get snacks. Let's learn about friendship. Friends are folks who do stuff together. together. Okay. So, this is a friendship spell jar from Bee's Witchery on Tumblr. I've heavily edited it, but not that much. So, here's what you're going to need. And it's a jar spell, so obviously you're going to need a jar or a small container. This is really going to be in direct relationship to how much of this material you want to put in. So, really think about, like, the size of your materials and the size of your jar. Is it the bigger the vase? The bigger the friendship? The the more friends you get i think this is like to attract a singular friend for oh. a singular purpose someone's gonna be out there with like 20 little oh yeah like look under my jars. bed i have hundreds of jars hundreds. that's why i jingle um you're gonna need himalayan salt for action and love honey to hold you two together orange peel to create a strong and lasting bond a paper and pencil my favorite Mm-hmm. an object to represent you again i'm doing a lot of spells with like this representative talisman like object i am running out of talismans i'm sorry <laughs> get some more um and then a yellow candle for stability and security so this is what you're gonna do you're gonna cleanse and ground always forever easy two you're gonna start with your pink salt for the base of the spell and you can also use regular salt but that shifts the spell to more about a healthy and cleansed friendship rather than a deep and loving relationship. So you're going to put the salt in the jar. Kind of like you're making sand art. Did you ever do that? Yeah. Like where you pour it in in layers and you're like, wow. Sand. This is great. Thanks, Mom. Thanks. It's beautiful. Next, you're going to coat the salt and honey to create a deep and lasting bond. Um, on the piece of paper, I want you to write down something of intention that describes what you're longing for in a friendship. You can also use a sigil if you're really into those um, and then roll it up and dip it into the honey. And I would be really thoughtful about what you're trying to manifest. I would almost use genie rules. Be very clear and concise. That's fair. Um, Then you're going to insert the orange peel. For a good smell. For just a nice citrusy smell for this garbage jar you're making. So your mom doesn't throw it away. Yeah. Now, I was thinking about, like, what kind of friend I wanted to attract into my life. And I added eucalyptus oil into my jar because it's great for inspiration and healing. And that's the kind of people I'm trying to attract. I would say think about what kind of friend you need. 
Um, maybe add lavender for a friend who knows how to calm you down or sage for a friend that's full of wisdom and good advice. Now you're going to place inside the jar something that symbolizes or resonates with you. If you're a sea witch, put a little shell or maybe some coral in there. If you work with earth energy, maybe some rocks. If you're a crystal bitch, research what crystal isn't going to negate and ward off your new friend and then put that in there. If you don't know what you want to add, think about what makes you special and attractive to people. Hmm. Now light the yellow candle and you're going to use the excess wax to seal the jar. Mm. You could also use pink for love and of course white because it's good for everything. If you can't burn candles, you can also tie a ribbon around it. Aww. Allow the jar to charge. This can mean keeping it next to a lit flame or letting it sit on a windowsill for a bit. You can also charge it with your own energy through some energy meditation. I don't know if you guys remember in the early, early lore of which yes in the crystals episode we talked about charging your crystals with your own energy i bet that translates so i would go back and listen to that now place the jar somewhere special to you examples bewitchery gave were in your locker at school in your dresser in your makeup bag behind your favorite book in your bookcase or among your favorite plants and that's it two more witch yes one year anniversary october fundraiser friend raiser friend raiser I am so upset. It Why? has taken us until the second to last episode to come up with Friendraiser. I think you said Friendraiser earlier. Probably by accident. I liked it, so I didn't correct you. Well, it makes sense in the necromancy episode. The next one. Because we are raising friends from the dead. <laughs> friends and funds. No, you look good in that halter top, Tara. Lies. Oh. Lies. What a good friend. What a good friend. Yeah, what, we have two episodes to go, and one's like our special one-year anniversary one. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I we mean, retire, right? We're just I'm done. I'm so tired. Before we go, we have some people to thank. Yes. We would like to thank Marcel Perez, our producer, Mallory Porter, our creative director, and Kevin McLeod for those dope beats we play every week in those the intro and outro. Tunes. Also, make sure you donate to Safe Child Africa. You can find the link in our show notes or on our Instagram. And our Instagram is at witchyes. And if you have anything to say to us for any reason, our email is witchyespodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. I would also like to, um, something we've been doing on the Instagram um, is that we've been having people screenshot and share when they're listening to the Witch Yes episodes. So sharing them as a story, and then we'll feature you in our stories. I mean, we had a recently a friend um, like take a picture of herself as she was listening. Um, but all you really have to do is like take a little screen cap of iTunes, whatever. Okay, can't wait to see you next week. Two more weeks of October. Wow! Hopefully, you have come up with a good costume by now. Yikes! The monster mash. And this has been Witch Yes. Bye. 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 <laughs>